Welcome back to another episode of the Photographer Mindset Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Seth Macy, and it's that time of the month where we do listener questions. Once a month, we do listener questions. We invite previous guests who have been on the show to come back on, and we answer some listener questions or topics that they've pre-submitted on Instagram via our stories. Today, we're going back to the roots of the show, Brett Blakely, uh, one of my good friends, an amazing landscape and wildlife photographer. He was actually the first guest on the show ever, so I'm really happy to invite him back on. And we can do a lot of cool stuff today that is and isn't photography related, but um, more so related to just living a great, wholesome life. And uh, I think you guys are really going to like this one. So, how about it? Every day after coming out on the rocks, it goes to this one spot. Then it it curls up and lays there for a little bit. Then it plays over across toward the middle. And then eventually it scampers across the ice to go off in this wooded area and hunt. And uh, so I've I've usually been at the other end, scurry across the ice, and I hide in the bushes there because it's like half the distance. But I was like, man, if I can get – if I can – sit over here and have him not see me, then it'll walk right to me, like right in my direction. I'll get the closest shot ever of him scampering across the ice to go to his hunting ground. And so I set up like in a really cool high, high grass part that, you know, just sat on a log, like real, real quiet. And I saw the the fox across, um, just curled up and it, it was weird though. I mean, it was so far away and I was like, at any second, it's going to go. I waited for an hour and then I actually had to get start at work and it, it hadn't moved. So, but it's cool. Like I'm going to go back there each morning and now set up over there cause it's hidden, but it's, it's one that like talk about conservation, just like ethical shooting. Um, I've been making, like I'd been making sure that I'm still far enough away, even though I want that closer shot that I'm not going to just right. run, like him coming over to that area to, to hunt, you know? Yeah. I mean, and that's funny too. It's, crazy how with wildlife photography how excited you get just to go out i mean landscapes do that for me but not to the same extent if that makes sense because i i know i'm not chasing a landscape the mountain's going to be there and you know the ocean's going to be there the waves are going to be there the trees are going to be there that's great and you know i approach landscape stuff and i'm sure you do too it's okay for sure these things are going to be here like a thousand percent and it's more of a creative mindset how am i going to make this into something creative Mm -hmm. when you go to that whereas like wildlife is you know, they're scouting, trying to track patterns, trying to, you're trying to outsmart an animal, which is very difficult to do and be like one step ahead of it all while hopefully being ethical and, um, um, you know, respecting distance and stuff and not baiting. Of course we never do that. Right. I like, I like to hear you say with the Fox, like you're trying to guess where it's going to be and like what time of day, cause they are creatures of habit, right? All animals are us included for the most part. We're creatures of habit. And once you really can define a routine and identify certain patterns, times a day, weather, sunlight, overcast, rain, you can start to, it makes it a lot easier, but then there's always the X factor where it just doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Like today. Yeah. The (laughs) first time I know where he's always gone and I know it wasn't that he saw me because he was 200 yards away. I could barely see him with my eye, but I could see the little fluff. And then of course I zoomed in and I could see that it was on the rock and it would like get up for a second. I'm like, Oh, he's about to move. He's about to, you know, make his start heading over. And then he'd like scratch himself and then turn, you know, circle around and curl again. I'm like, 
man, today's you a bastard. Day that he's not doing it, but it's cool, man. It's I mean, it was fun just being out there. It was a beautiful morning. It was sixty fucking degrees. I'm just nice. sitting on, you know, sitting in the quiet, enjoying it. It was so much fun. And you never know what you're going to get with him too. Like something as simple as a yawn is like a yeah. fresh moment to catch, you know, like that's a unique shot. Just a Fox, like full blown yawn. And it's so easy. Once you like get to a, a spot where, um, you know, you put yourself in a position as you talked about before to, to get a good shot. Then it's like, man, you you really anything that they do could be cool because like you're it's so candid. You're seeing something like living its life, you know. I, I yeah, that's what I love about it. Yeah, very cool. And I mean, I found that animals that live closer to more dense areas of people tend to tend to be less. What's the word? Cautious mm-hmm. or maybe let their guard down a bit more. I don't know if that's the right term, but when you get out to more remote areas, more rural areas where the presence of people is less common, I find they're much more devious and much, much smarter. I will say that much smarter in the sense of being evasive and more difficult to track and find. So I'm curious to know this Fox that you're tracking right now, or well, you've already found it, but is it would you say that it's close to people uh yeah it is it's like it's in a it's in a i mean it's near the city it's in a park it's an actual park you know i mean with wooded area and like on the water but it's you know it's just a two minute drive from the road that you just curl into this park and wooded area but it's like on rocks sitting on the river you know right that it's in the that the den is well, let's get into listener questions because this is um, this is perfect because we're already talking about this as we as we punched in. Um, Judah Wilkinson asks, "How do you find slash take pictures of wildlife for beginners?" So let's start with the first part of that question: How do you find? And let's continue with the fox example, and we'll maybe share some experiences of how we found animals in different ways and different methods for people listening who are maybe looking to get into wildlife photography and think it's too difficult. How did you find the Fox? Was it tracking? Was it, um, you know, a friend of a friend or a tip? How did that go about for you? Uh, well, so this Fox, um, you know, it's, it's tough because this whole winter I was looking for one, uh, last spring I was lucky enough to have Aaron, um, you know, in Connecticut have found Fox and I just drove six hours and, you know, was able to benefit from his, his little, his find, his treasure find. Atlantis uh, underscore photography and his Fox photo that just gets featured over and every, over and over and over again. And these foxes see no royalties. Shame <laughs> on you, Aaron. Continue, yeah. Brett. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it never ends, but then this whole winter, I'm like, I'll definitely see one in the fall. Never saw one. I'll definitely see one in the winter. Hadn't seen one. I went out to the Tetons two weeks ago. The guys that I was shooting out there where they're like, oh, you'll definitely get a fox in the snow. You don't need to worry about that. A jinxed fox it. Never, never showed up. Saw a ton of tracks. Right. Um, just didn't show up. So when I got back, uh, you know, Facebook groups are a great way to to find out about that. And one of my one of my buddies here said that he had a friend who had heard about uh, a den in these like just really cool looking rocks actually right along a river um, in a park about 10 minutes away from me. It's not always that convenient uh, 
for sure. So, I mean, it's, that's not a guarantee, but, um, he said he heard about him. And, uh, so I went, you know, the, with the Fox in Connecticut, the prime time was anywhere between like seven and 9 PM or 9 AM and then dusk as well. Um, so I figured the same time frame would be good. You know, they're going to come out, especially during the winter. Uh, I knew that they would come out and sun themselves, soak up any sun they could. Um, and then they tip, typically go hunting. So I found out just, you know, from a, from a connection, but it's always good to utilize social media in a good way. Like there are usually wildlife, um, Facebook groups and things like that, that you can check out and, and get some information on. Or if you're, you know, if you are trying to get into wildlife, I would just reach out to people that, um, are in your area that already do that. You know, that's super easy to do through Instagram. Again, not every one of them is going to tell you where animals are because, which we might get into later, uh, there's an ethical part of it. And, you know, sharing where these animals' habitats are uh, can be dangerous, you know, if if the wrong person is armed with that knowledge. But that's how I found these guys. And it's just a fun two weeks of going every morning. For a while, I was going every morning and every night. Uh, but routine. Then, yeah, routine and, and, going <laughs> and, and seeing um, seeing that there was absolutely a predictability and a routine that, you know, that these fox were in. I kept kind of thinking the first few mornings, I'm like, oh, it's probably just kind of random when they get up, you know, whenever they wake up and they're not tired. But it wasn't that they, they have a very predictable routine. And uh, I keep repositioning myself, uh, you know, based on kind of the habits I'm seeing the Fox show me, uh, over, over a long period of time. Yeah. And it's funny you brought that up because I am so, I'm so selfish in this sense in, in a good way. And I'll explain what I mean. So I enjoy, I have no problem asking for, for locations of animals if I see them because I know that I'm going to treat the space and the animal with the utmost respect and dignity. I know that about myself. That's just who I am. But I will not give that location to someone I do not know because no. I don't I don't fucking know you. You know no. what I mean? Like you could how many people are you going to go tell, right? And how many people, you know, are going to just show up and there's going to be piles of cars and it's going to be over. I mean, there was two foxes on Toronto Island that died. I think it was two summers ago or this past summer, just because they got so overwhelmed with tourists. And I was like, man, that's, that absolutely sucks. So, and I, I've I've said this frequently on the show is just like, ask, be selfish in this sense, unless you know, for sure it's someone who is going to treat the area and the animal the exact way that you would. Otherwise, just ask as opposed to giving. I know it might, might sound ridiculous, but you know what I mean, right? Um, you know, and the other thing I like to do is there, I think Aaron's mentioned this before is just asking neighbors, right? Like in your area, have you seen, you have any mm-hmm. wildlife in your yard? Have you seen anything trotting by? I mean, um, out near, near Haley's hometown, Haley, my girlfriend, um, you know, there's, it's a small town. People talk and they, uh, there's someone there who sees Fox all the time and there's screech owls now in his tree. And I'm just so stoked to go there. Just yeah. it's so many people have wildlife in their yard that, you know, it's worth asking. I recently picked up a trail cam too. I don't know. Yeah. If, cool. yeah it's cool. It's cool. It'd be cooler when I actually pick something up, <laughs> <laughs> but the it problem is the trail of anything yet. Huh? Well, yeah, the problem is I bought it literally 
these friggin' river otters, man, have or river otter. I don't know. I can't tell. I've mentioned it on the show a couple of times. You probably know because you listen. Um, I have not been able to pin them, man, up at up near Algonquin Park. And I went out every day, checked the trap or the camera trap every day and just nothing that, but I see the, the paw prints and the, the belly tracks from the otter. I just cannot figure them out. So yeah, usually like nine times out of 10, when I say I'm going to get something or I'm going to get a shot, I do, but this I'm running out of time because the ice is thawing. And yeah. I usually travel across the frozen lake every morning and go and check the SD card and, and see what's up and, you know, try and reposition, reposition myself, I guess to the, to the question, um, how to find, take pictures of wildlife for beginners. It goes back to what we were talking about, discovering patterns, like Mm -hmm. where my goal with trying to find these river otters, which I was unsuccessful at, which sucks to say, was just literally which direction is he coming from or she, which direction is this, is this river otter coming from? Cause then if I find that I can just move a little bit over each day with the, with the camera. Yeah. You know, I think another thing, especially for beginners that could be a good, uh, good thing to practice and keep in mind is like, don't, don't worry about. If you're, if you're interested in getting into wildlife, don't worry about getting like the prize shot right off the bat. I think it's, there's a place called Tift Nature Preserve near me. And it's again, very easily accessible. I'm sure every part of the freaking country has them where it's just a place that a lot of birds maybe, you know, hang out, um, that people like they have trails for nature walks where you go through just to maybe see more common animals and birds and stuff like that. But I mean, I used to walk that. And I still mm-hmm. walk it all the time in the morning. I think, I think if you go out for one, you, it, it's good to practice like an easier to get animal um, because the frustration level of when you finally find an animal that's hard to see anyway, but then you didn't really know how to shoot wildlife and you're just like, why are all of these blurry or my ISO is too high or cause it's a totally different style. You know, if, if you're not used to it, it's different, but also I think it, I think it builds a healthy respect for wildlife in general, which means that when you are going after animals that are like, they're not as, um, I guess, used to humans or they're, they're in more sensitive habitats where your, your, uh, appearance, you know, your presence is, could be disruptive to them if you're not respectful, like that's not anywhere you want to be. So like maybe going out and just shooting regular wildlife in general, I think can build a healthy respect for that. And then like today, you know, we talked about having the wrong person armed with that information. This, so the, the place that I've been shooting, uh, there's a walkway and there, the rocks are all the way, probably like 150, 200 yards across the ice. And so for the first week I was trying to shoot these things from the walkway. Um, and no matter how still I was, no matter how still the fox was, I mean, I was at my 600 millimeter maxed out. I got them, they're Instagram worthy, but they are not tack sharp. You know, I can't mm. see like the details of the hair. It's just too far. It's impossible. So then, uh, you know, Nooch has done it with me and uh, another guy locally. We shimmied across the ice and cut the distance in half. It's still really far, but you know, that was our attempt, but there's on this little island of land in between the rocks and, and the water and everything that we were shimming out onto, uh, there's bushes there. And we were literally on our stomachs, you know, flat on our stomachs to make sure that a, we were hidden and B, we weren't making a fucking sound. And the Fox came out. We didn't disrupt anything. Cause we even talked about that. Like, do, are we going to be 
Are we going to be disruptive even out there? And, you know, it wasn't. They went about their own thing because we were quiet. Well, today, you know, I went I went over to this spot where the foxes every morning at some point scurried across the ice and gone over to this little entrance to the wood part to go hunt. So I set up over there, hidden, tucked away. And I saw the fox 200 yards away, and I said, I'm just going to stay here because he will eventually walk in my direction. Well, when I get there, some kid who clearly was new to wildlife was in the middle island part. So he went across the ice, too. But instead of, like, hiding and trying to be as discreet as possible, this guy is literally just walking across back and forth, like, make, shuffling his feet and everything. And I'm telling you, I think that's why the fox had a change of behavior today and stayed there the whole time. It's the first morning it hasn't scurried across the ice, and I think it was because he was not being, you know, quiet and hidden. He was just out there like, come on, Fox, just, you know, get out of here for me. Like, <laughs> like he was expecting a show, and I'm like, that's not the way to go about it. That's so funny, yeah. And I've, I've caught myself just n- not being serious, especially with the otters. Just like, come on, you bastard, come on. Yeah. But no, uh yeah, that's not the way to do it. And I think also a good way to, I like using Instagram as a search engine, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I wish, and maybe, maybe I can start a series, uh, a letter to Instagram and we can come up with ideas to better improve the platform. But if I could write a, you know, a letter of improvement to Instagram, I would love to be able to search two hashtags at once. You know what I mean? So I would love, because I use Instagram as a search engine to try and find wildlife in an area. Yeah. But that restricts me to just searching the geographical location. So, you know, hashtag Ontario, hashtag um, Halliburton. These are just areas around like hashtag Crediton. But I would love if I could refine, filter that search even further. Imagine if I could go, um, hashtag Algonquin Park, hashtag Fox. And then only images that are hashtagged with both of those will come up. That right. would be the craziest tool for wildlife photographers. I think it would be very bad in the hands, again, of the wrong people. Just like anything. You give a gun or something to someone who... Well, we're not going to go down that road. We're not going to go down that road. That's too much. Um, but you but know you what know, I'm saying. Literally never responds to anything. So good luck with that. Um, right? Oh, maybe we'll get enough people to just flood them with. I, I've never think about that. Think, think if you could search two. Think if you could search two hashtags at once, and it would only give you content that contained all of those um, those hashtags. I know. Right. Yeah. yeah. But you can still, if you have enough patience you could still likely find um the certain animal that you're after just by cruising a geographical location then find the username and see and then shoot your shot right Mm -hmm. um but that's also just something to think about but you know what all this talk about ethical wildlife shooting distance and respect for nature and animals brings us to question or topic number two from our good friend, uh, Jenny Wong, J dubs captures. Nice. Shout out to An amazing wildlife photographer and conservationist. And, and, and she's probably everything. I just could keep going. She literally yeah, does everything. Astro, astro landscape. Killer. Yeah. 
Not um, killer. Killer. Like killer work. Well, <laughs> well, maybe. Maybe. If we can take yeah. her work and call it our own. Our, our own. Um, no, but she said, why don't you guys talk about... Well, this was a while ago. I've saved some uh, listener questions, but just put a topic of photography and conservation, which is very vague, and I like vague topics or questions because... It leaves talkers like yourself and me a chance to elaborate. Um, so what do you think our role as photographers are in conservation? We've actually had a really cool chat that you set up in Clubhouse, which talked about this very topic. I was very uh, honored and privileged to join the speakers, yourself and Mr. Chris Burkhardt. That was pretty cool, eh? Where yeah, you guys talked about photography and conservation. So while, while Clubhouse is hot, first of all, I want to hear your take on on the app briefly because that's a whole other we could go down a, a huge rabbit hole and I've talked about it enough recently I think people get it at this point but I'd like to know just your quick thoughts on Clubhouse and how it literally got you moderating a room with Chris Burkhard and then we can talk about how that led into a discussion with photography and conservation. Yeah, um I mean I think the app has been everything that social media was meant to be, but is yet to be. Uh, right. I would agree it, with that. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, social media was, I assume established. I mean, at least that's what their, you know, their mission statements essentially are paraphrased by, uh, you know, in hopes of creating communities of people that have similar interests of friends of connecting people in a way that hasn't been done before. And, it hasn't. It's just become almost, I mean, it has, sure. You, you know, you find people that you went to high school with on Facebook or elementary school, or uh, there's a ton of ways that it has connected. Um, but also, you know, you look at Instagram, for example, and uh, the, the connection is very above the surface. Um, there isn't much depth to a lot of it, except for, of course, there's a ton of people that, you know, you and I and everyone have, have met that we, uh, start off maybe just direct messaging them a question. I mean, I did that a bunch when I was at the very beginning point of photography. I message people, photographers that I find inspiring all the time, um, not even looking for a response. I'll just say, hey, absolutely love your work. Keep on inspiring. You know, and then all, a lot of times that will just turn into uh, a rapport with that person and a back and forth relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that part is great. But you know, the commentary on our photos and things like that. Like it's, it's hard. I would say 90% of the stuff you see on your photos. Fluff. Yeah. It's not that the person didn't like it, but it's that they're, you know, they're all trying to play the game against the algorithm. So they're, they're trying to make sure that they comment and get comments from as many people as possible, which leads to less, um, you know, a less authentic uh, commentary. Whereas clubhouse has been, such an interesting way to put a voice, put a personality. You hear tone inflection. Uh, you there's just more depth. It's a much more subdermal experience, right. um, and it's it's a way that you know social media has, is now humanized in a way that it hasn't before. Especially for photography, I can't really speak to other rooms on Clubhouse because my rooms that I either host, co-host, or listen in on are photography, you know, creator based type rooms, but in those aspects, I know that it has filled that void that Instagram leaves for that part of it. Now, what Instagram has that Clubhouse doesn't is you don't have a gallery on Clubhouse. But, of course, there's that, you know, you put your profile in your Clubhouse profile and it's easy for somebody to see your work. But, yeah, I, I really love 
the humanizing um, that the app has has brought to the game. Right. And a couple things that I wanted to add to that is, so think about how long, how many exchanges of textual messages through the Instagram DM box. Think about how many back and forths it took to establish the level of rapport that you could establish with a one minute conversation on Clubhouse. Yep. You know what I mean? This could be weeks of back and forth, whereas you can get a sense of someone's personality if or if if or if you don't vibe with them in a matter of sixty seconds. Uh, exactly. I mean, and, you asked about Chris. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and I I'll literally pop into a clubhouse room for fifteen minutes, go back uh, a, f- a little while later, look at my Instagram, and it's flooded in the notifications just with people I've. People I haven't even necessarily talked to. I've just been up in the speaker panel. They've, you know, liked my take on something and we have a connection. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's exactly. bananas. It is. I mean, that's, that's one of the, I guess, most rewarding parts of it is just your, you, the quality of the relationship and connection that you make with somebody is just light years beyond and and way quicker, you know, it's light years beyond and at light speed, you know, it's just, you, you can figure out real quick if somebody that maybe you've been looking up to or want to connect with on Instagram, all of a sudden you share a room with them and you're like, oh, this, this person's a jackass or man, this person is really cool. They're photographers that, um, you know, I end up following that it, maybe they don't even shoot in the genre or maybe uh-huh. I'm not even the biggest fan of their work, but I'm such a big fan of them that I want to support yeah. the craft and like, you know, be, be in their, their cheering section, rooting them on because man, what they had to say, like resonated. And the whole thing with you asked about Chris, I mean, that's, it's a perfect example. Hey, tell us about that because this is a great segue into how you literally were moderating a room with Chris Burkhardt, who we all know and look up to. Yeah. So it started with uh, a guy that I met through clubhouse again, we hosted a room and we've been doing it every week, but it was on finding your photographic style. Um, and Chris, I think has is this Wyatt Peterson. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cool. I want to make sure we shouted him out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think he's Utah based. Awesome dude. So we were hosting a room. We had a pretty good turnout. I think Chris had joined like a week prior or something. Like he had just started getting on. And of course I'm sure he checked the boxes of, I want to be notified, notified about photography and, you know, room stuff like that. Uh-huh. And so he must have seen the seen the topic and thought it was interesting, and he pops in. And of course, in Clubhouse, when you're in a room, you get notified when somebody joins as a listener. So we're talking, conversations going great, and, and I see Chris Burkhardt joined as a listener. So I like scroll down. I'm like, it's the Chris Burkhardt. So I text Wyatt while we're in this room, and I'm like, dude, Chris fucking Burkhardt's in this room right now, and he's like, oh my god. So he he probably stays. <laughs> for like 15 minutes right and uh, and then he left and i'm like he's gone he's gone forever well then the next day or short maybe a couple days after um we had a few people and we were doing a room on um wildlife and conservation uh actually it was more on conservation because we were i I had made some connections with some people from nature first which is an awesome group you should sign up to be a member of pledge it's free it's just, it's really cool. So anyway, he obviously being a conservationalist um, and having done a lot of work in that space, along with everything else he's done, uh, he probably saw that topic and he hopped in and he ended up coming up on stage. And, you know, of course, 
the room just blew up because everybody was already following him and they saw that he was in a room speaking. And so then, I mean, the level of photographers that were in there were like, these were all people that, you know, I was just kind of starstruck by and they're all in the we're audience. listening to you, right? You know? Well, I mean, they're there for Chris, let's be honest. But I, of course, but yeah, they're but, listening to you speak and host a room, which is right. amazing. And so it was really cool because he was on for, I would say, an hour, hour and a half. And, um, you know, myself and the other moderators, I think we asked them some good questions and the audience asked them some good questions. He had a great time. And as it was kind of coming to a close, uh, you know, he, he just was very accessible the whole time, which I was impressed with. The guy's got 3.8 million followers or whatever, and he seemed accessible. And he's like, hey, you know, I got to jump, guys, but thanks for the room. You know, I, this is just awesome. So I immediately reached out and started a, a little, you know, group chat with like him, Shane Bloom, uh, Aaron Babnick, some really big names and um, about potentially doing more conservation rooms because he brings such visibility to it that it would, yeah. of course, it would be great to have him on and to maybe work on some sort of, you know, global conservation type project. Um, and that's how that whole thing kicked off. And then the next week or throughout that whole week, we, you know, we were chatting back and forth and I said, Hey, can you do Sunday? And, you know, we're co we co-hosted a room then right before his uh, film project trip to Iceland. Um, and it's just, that never would have happened. I wouldn't even, I would have, would not have even attempted to reach out on Instagram because anytime I've tried to reach out to anybody at so that buried. kind of level, it's just like a black hole. And now, you know, whether you're up on stage with these people that you look up to because you had a question or what have you, now you're one degree of separation of them. And you have an opportunity with your voice and your thoughts to make an impact that is a big enough impression that they say, hey, maybe this person's worth connecting with on on the other end. And that's what's been so nice too, like these big names that I just thought would be unattainable and I looked at as almost not human because their work is so outstanding. Right. And I'm like, oh, I could never reach that level of success or anything. Well, now all of a sudden you're just like, man, they are human. Um, and you can connect on yeah. a different that's what I wanted to say is that especially with this app, you know, Chris Burkhardt on Clubhouse, the one I checked had like 700 followers, you know, like, right. versus 3.6 million. I mean, these people yeah. who it's very important to know, and I want to very make this very clear that people are people. Everyone, you know, goes to the bathroom, <laughs> you know, gets food poisoning. Everybody is gross. Everybody, everybody is, is everybody's, every, everybody's gross. Everybody is the same as my point. People are not yeah. holier than thou. Though they are inspirational, and I feel like it's very intimidating to, to I guess try and even just approach or strike up a conversation with these people, and they're at a point in this app where it might fade away soon, but they are very accessible. And it, it, going back to, I know we're we're just like driving circles around Jenny's topic of photography and conservation. Um. But I think it takes a collective to make an impact and to yes. make and to drive the direction for change and innovation, whether it's environmental or, you know, technology based, you can't do it alone. I mean, the most successful people, again, I'm air quoting success because the whole mantra of the show is that you define that. But in the traditional sense of success, people who have been successful have not done it by themselves. I mean, even, you know, Zuckerberg at Facebook had a team 
Eduardo Saverin and, you know, other investors and guys like Steve Jobs did not do it alone. They had Steve Wozniak and and, and other people. And it's just, right. it goes to the point that if you're trying to make a movement in conservation, it's very effective to join together to a common goal. I mean, look at the pebble mine that our friends, you know, Drew Hamilton and Brooke and Dave and that whole group, you know, were, were a leading voice for in Alaska. You know, we teamed up with them, did a whole photo competition, raised tons of awareness, you know, and the thing got canceled. Not saying that that's because of us, but I mean, it's because of so many small moving parts that add up to one big power to institute change a ton of ripples that ton of ripples you know and i mean and the worst thing that i think i think the worst attitude to have towards this and this grinds my gears especially as someone who like tries to use as little plastic as possible tries to not waste food tried you know trying to get in the habit of growing my own food now like i'm very environmentally sustainable I, i try to live that way and i think that the thing that pisses me off the most of people is when people say oh well like i'm just one person what am i gonna do you know yeah. like what i'm gonna do is not gonna make a difference so why bother fuck that i hate that and if you're one of those people who has that mentality please ditch it because there's so much evidence of how collectivism towards a common goal gets things done it really I- does I love that you said that because to answer Jen Jenny's question, um, that was actually one of the things, one of the takeaways. This isn't my uh, my piece of uh, knowledge that I'm dropping at all. Like one of the things that uh, not only Chris said, but Bryn, who is one of the moderators, who is mm-hmm. uh, a member of Nature First, one of the things that he was saying and she was saying was, you know, we can feel overwhelmed. I mean, look at like why people don't vote. Oh, I'm just one vote. It doesn't matter. Right. Um, and they were saying, you know, I, I know for me, I suffer from it because I have, <laughs> I have ADD. I'm all over the place, but I mean, right. you know me, like I'm an emotional guy. And every time I, I'd see something on Facebook for years, like about the ant, you know, the seals are being clubbed. Um, the it's oil in the Gulf. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many, how many like reoccurring little $5 donations are coming out of my bank account to like 20 different organizations. Because you know me, I'm an emotional dude. Like I can't help, but just donate. And, and one of the things that Chris and Bryn were saying, were like, you don't need to save the world. Like, yes, you're one person, but try finding just one thing that you can do consistently, mm. like one thing that you can commit to. And it could be as simple as living a more, uh, you know, just aware lifestyle of not using plastics and, um, you know, or going vegan or whatever it is. Like you don't have to attack every single thing. There are enough people in this world that care about each one of those issues that we're facing that as long as they do their one little part, it will be like you said, everyone then it's like uh, the avatar movie where everything's connected. Right. You've got a collective of people just with the right mentality toward wildlife, toward planet earth and the land that we live on and not, you know, just raping it of its resources. And it can just be little things. It can just be belonging to your local parks, little, uh, you know, fundraiser that they do once a year. It doesn't have to be a mammoth thing. You don't have to make as big of an impact as somebody 
uh, with Chris Burkhardt's fame could do because of, you know, who he is. Like, just do what you can. And, and you're part of something that, you know, these huge names are also doing. Right. And I, I call it eco anxiety when you're just getting like so overwhelmed with, I think it's an actual term, just so overwhelmed with all the problems that we're seeing in our world. It can get overwhelming. And we talk about being overwhelmed a lot on this show with photography, with social media. But even in this sense, you get to a point where you just go, I give up. This is too much for me. I'm going to malfunction. I'm going to have a breakdown. I just can't, I just can't do, I can't be bothered. Mm -hmm. So, but the thing is, and what helped me get through that was I'm going to do what I can, you know, I have the ability and the control to make my own impactful decisions, no matter how big or large they are. And here's the thing. It rubs off on people who are closest to you. Like I have, you know, I'll use an example. I had a buddy, we were, um, this is a while ago getting, uh, we were going to get a burrito. Right. And, um, you know, I'm like, I've said to the, 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 person at the thing i'm like i'm gonna get the veggie ground in mine like the it's not beyond but it's the the plant-based meat right and uh he's just like oh like yep is it any good is it any like what is that so he's like i'll try it and he tried it right and then ever since that when we continued to go you know he got it for the rest of the time and you know no disrespect if you eat meat or whatever um but to me that's an environmental choice And there's such a wrong and right way to go about instilling change or trying to vote for a world that you want to see. And I'll use the vegetarian, I'll continue to use the vegetarian example just because it's very easy to uh, dictate or the vegan example or whatever. If you have people who are trying to convince you to go meatless, let's say, and they're, they're judging you and they're telling you that, you know, you're a horrible person and what you're doing is destructive and you're wrong. You're going to get fucking nowhere. Yeah. You know what? Those people are just going to put up a fight and get defensive when people get defensive, you know, it breeds polarity, you know, even like we saw with the, the U S elections and even in Canada, there's never been a time where people have been more polarized. And I really think that just living your own life and allowing people the choice to adopt some of your practices or your values or your belief system is the way to go as opposed to just jamming it down people's throats yeah. you know, and forcing them into your way of life because that's never going to work. And to the point is that especially if you're growing on social media, you have an ability to do that digitally without being forceful. You can just... <laughs> You know, tweet a picture of your garden, like, oh, grew my first sustainable or homegrown vegetable garden of the season. Like, that's going to inspire people to live sustainably or to be more self reliant and grow their own food. Um, you could post that you, you know, the the perks of your meditation session today, and you're going to reach that one or two people who are going to be like, you know what? I really look up to this person. They seem to be embodying a life I want to live. I'm going to try that. Right. You know what I mean? I think that's really the way to do it. And that goes with photography and conservation and how you caption your images and what you're trying to portray. You know what I mean? Well, no, those are great points. And I mean, there's something to be said. It, you know, they say actions speak louder than words. I mean, for sure. There, there is a hundred percent truth to that. You know, you can tell somebody 
I mean, there's so many phrases lead by example, you know, when, yeah. when you talk about parenting, like I don't have a kid yet, but, um, I know if I open any, how to be a dad book, it's going to say lead by example. You can tell mm-hmm. your kids uh, something until they're blue in the face and it can go in one ear and wa- out the other. But if they're watching you, like they're likely paying more attention when they're not forced to, if you're, if you're making positive choices and, and, uh, you know, I guess just showing positive habits, they're just going to learn by that after repetition, not because you told them a million times. I mean, I know, you know, my fiance has always said, you know, we, I remember we talked about like love languages early on in the relationship. You know, I don't know if you've ever done that quiz with, with Haley or anything, but like, Hey, what's trying I to thought you were going to quiz me. Uh, how, no, we, what road are we going down? I, I need to know how to, <laughs> you know, tickle your funny bone. Um, so the love languages, you know, even that thing, she's one of the things she said right off the bat is she's like, don't ever tell me like you can tell me that words of affirmation are great, but acts of, you know, love, acts of kindness, acts of, um, you know, of that kind of nature are what make an impact because right. words are hollow. Yeah, that is very, very true. And it's important to, I guess, stand for what you stand for. and. You know, I, I don't even sometimes myself personally, I just like going and doing stuff. I don't need to, to tell you, you know, um, I do think however there, and this is something I want to get more in the habit of, but doing it the right way is just being more, you know, you and I have a platform. Everybody does, whether you have two followers, I've said this all the time or 2 million, everyone has the ability to, um, share their values, you know? That's the beauty of it. And even with what you spend your money on, like I really think about this in the sense of when you buy something, you're voting for more of that in the world, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. And that really, I guess we're going off way on a tangent, but we're on a great topic here. When you, sp- when you spend money on something, you're voting for more of that in the world. Just, it's a very simple equation and it's maybe very, conscious of what I choose to spend my, my money on. You know what I mean? No, I love that. I think too, you know, just going down to like basic decency, the way you treat people, especially on social media. I mean, like I know for instance, I try and respond um, to every single person that DMs me regardless, you know? Uh, And I, I would hope that, you know, when I reach out to somebody that, you know, they would at least give me the courtesy of a response. Maybe they are too big or too busy uh, to answer a question of mine or what have you. But um, I, I do think that, like, if you put that energy out and you yourself, whether, again, two followers or two million, no matter how big or small, if you have anybody following you on social media, that means that they care about either your work or what you're doing. And if you want to, like, a way to non-aggressively um, you know, make an impact and influence others to maybe rethink how they're going about things is to not only lead by example, but also be not be a piece of shit. Like if you're if you're somebody that's likable and, you know, somebody who's maybe just starting photography reaches out because they like your work and and, you know, they have a question. You're like, oh, do I want to be bothered with this? Like that's the wrong attitude, because if you take the time to like have a discussion and conversate with them well, then they're going to pay attention way more to what you're doing. So if you're serious about, 
you know, hoping to maybe influence people without shoving it down their throat, a good starting point would just to be human and be accessible in any way and just be like a real person, um, no matter how big or small you are, because then the people that are in your circle, whether they're close friends or strangers that just like your work, what you do, your actions then are going to make an impact and seep in because they're going to be playing, paying that much closer attention where if they just like your photography or something, and but you're just a jerk and you never give them the time of day, do you really think that anything you're doing is going to have meaningful influence on them or, or cause them to at least rethink um, you know, where they're coming from on a certain topic or issue or how they're living their life or what kind of food they're eating? For sure. I mean, I'd love to do either a podcast or a clubhouse room just literally on how to properly motivate and steer or at least I see I'm trying not to be hypocritical into forcing people into a certain way of thinking, but how to, I guess at the essence, how to get people to care and how to get people to want to be better and how to do that the right way. That's something I'd be really interested in, in setting up. I think that'd be a cool topic, right? Um, yeah. but let's move on. I think we got time for one more, uh, one more topic or question. And it's from Brooke Little Bear. Shout out to Brooke. She has a nasty concussion right now, so we're wishing her well and so that she can get back out shooting. Um, she said, "What can we learn?" I think this is a good segue. What can we learn from the wild to help us face the uncertain times ahead? Uh, I think the way the question even was asked is almost the answer in itself because my, the, the last post I had was about, um, what was of a moose and it was the first time I had seen moose in the wild, which was awesome. And that day it was minus 20. And I know you're in Canada, not Celsius. Fahrenheit. Yeah. Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit. It was fucked. Uh, I had layers on on everything. Google what that is for my Canadians. Hang on. Actually continue while I Google minus 20. Yeah. My, uh, my core and everything was fine, but my fingers were like in excruciating pain and they were, (laughs) they were in Arctic, you know, they were like in extreme weather gloves, but they were just, it was horrendous. So anyway, uh, Oh God, I just Googled it. What is it? (laughs) Minus third or minus 29 Celsius. And from a Canadian, I mean, you're in Buffalo, so you get it. But from a Canadian, I will certify that as Canadian cold. Yeah, it's it's brutal. So it, it was pretty gnarly. But the so like the photo I got of it, the the frost is just you know, I mean, its fur is just coated in this beautiful white frost. I mean, everything's frozen, but it's there with its you know, it's it's little kid, it's whatever, whatever it's calf, it's um, calf yeah. and just in like five feet of snow. And I think my caption was something like, "To wither in the winter is not the way of the wild." And to me, her question brings out the exact point that like these, what we can learn from them is that, you know, (laughs) these animals and these creatures and these birds are able to withstand the harshest of conditions. For anybody that's seen a moose in minus 20 or been to Iceland and seen the Icelandic horse in 80 mile per hour winds with minus 10 degrees and you're like, it just doesn't seem fathomable. And so there's two things. One, I think we can learn like that every creature has uh, has a ability to tap into a, a toughness in order to survive that, you know, we just find unfathomable, I think. Um, you know, they are forced. They don't have anywhere to go. They are forced to deal 
with that harshness uh, and with that brutal, wicked, wintry weather, whatever the conditions are, and they're, they don't have anywhere to go. So they are going to make, they are built and have evolved to be able to survive that. And I think, um, you know, humans were, were so posh in the sense of like, we can add another layer of clothing on, we can throw an extra blanket on, um, we can, we're, most of us hopefully, you know, are able to find shelter and, and, uh, survive that way. But I guess, I guess the point is that one, we should take away that, you know, we're human beings. We have a lot of intelligence. We have a lot of things that animals don't have uh, or, or are different. And we should be able to find a way to survive regardless of how harsh the times are. And the other thing is just to find that silver lining. Um, there, There's positivity in all. Like even in the winter, uh, you know, it's the, those conditions are exactly what are breeding and creating, uh, you know, food to eat come spring and, you know, migration patterns, like all the negativity is leading to positivity for, you know, wildlife and the cycle. And I think that's something that we can take away from it too. Yeah. And I think, I mean, moose love the cold, um, because they're, you know, so well insulated, but I mean, those winds and blizzards can be, can be super harsh. And I think to continue the metaphor, in that sense would be, you know, when things are the worst to really look ahead, look ahead to the thaw and spring, look ahead yeah. to, to, to the warmer days. But that's I, I, I phrase, man, you just, you just murdered me on that. That was so like, <laughs> that was a sentence that you just eloquently put a bow I wouldn't have got, I wouldn't have gotten there without you, but I did want to also read one of the, I just popped up in front of me. Cause I, I literally posted a caption the other day. Um, under my photo of a juvenile Cooper's hawk, which I misidentified. I called it a red tail. I'm just a complete rookie, but um, I kind of wanted to read it because I think it really pertains to my thoughts on this and, or at least just how I'm feeling right now. And I said, I'm always so mesmerized by the sheer intensity and focus shown by birds of prey. They're constantly, they're constantly scanning and are so dialed in on the task at hand. They don't multitask. They don't bite off more than they can chew but rather work linearly and focus on the goal ahead, waiting patiently for opportunity to arise where they can utilize their own inert skill set. And to me, I think life is crazy right now, man. There's so many things going on and we're just not capable to handle it all. And I used to be a chronic multitasker in the sense of, I would try to do all these things on my to-do list at once. And I was fine that I get, I would get nowhere, dude, like literally Mm -hmm. nowhere. And I've really switched up my approach to working linearly focused, like the whole analogy of, you know, when your car starts skidding on the road, how do you get out of the skid is the first thing you do is you look to where you want to go. You know, you don't look at the telephone pole because if you look at it, that's where you're going to head. I mean, I treat everything recently in my life like that. Where do I want to go? And just keep looking at it. And my hands and my feet and my brain will do the things necessary to steer me in that direction so long as I keep a positive attitude, so long as I surround myself with the right people, so long as I take care of my body and my mind and work linearly towards those goals. And when those goals get hit, 
to celebrate them and be proud of them and then move on to what's next. I think in the rat race, we're, we're constantly caught up in, okay, when I do this thing, I'm going to be really happy. Or when I get a million dollars, I'm going to be happy. And and you hear it all the time from people who are at those levels. You see million multi-billionaires who are, you know, who are miserable. And I think the the underlying message there and what I've at least learned from animals is just that, you know, going back to this, this, this Cooper's Hawk that I put this caption under, it's not thinking about what it's doing tomorrow. It doesn't remember the bullshit it put up with yesterday. It's thinking about what it needs to do right now to thrive. And that's really kind of what I take away from being in nature and observing and photographing wildlife. That's really cool. They do. You're right. They work linearly. They, they don't, they're not distracted by a million things. They're, um, they're set and they're happy in their routines. They don't need a hundred distractions to be entertained. You know I mean? Yeah. They might have moments where they, they play or something, but for the most part, like they're out there to survive. They know what they have to do. They know where they need to go. Uh, the parents, uh, you know, in, in wildlife know what to teach, uh, you know, their offspring and everything in order to survive. They, they have the goal. They see where they need to go. I, I really love that metaphor. That's well done, man. That's why, uh, that's why you're hosting the podcast. Well, that's why you were the first guest on the show and you've made your return for listener questions episode. Is this four or five of listener questions do these once a month with previous guests who have been on the show, but yeah, you were number one and I'll tell you, we're coming up on, almost a year for a week of episodes. That's um, incredible. Yeah. I mean, we started this end of May, start of June. So once that hits, it'll be a year of this episode and then I can decide if I want to keep it going. I think I will, but, um, and then also coming up on that 10, I think when this airs, we'll probably be hitting that 10,000 plays and we'll give away that Polar Pro gift card for 50 bucks, oh, yeah. which you're entered into because you reviewed the show before. May I add, before this was even a thing, just shows what kind of guy you are. But Brett, thanks for coming on again, man, for listening to questions. No, I, I loved it, man. You know, I uh, always appreciate you and I love listening to your other episodes. So it's it's fun to shoot the shit, even though we talk all the time. But it's great to be on one of these and just talk, man. You, you're, right I just want to be so insightful. So thanks. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Photographer Mindset Podcast. And yes, more than likely we'll have hit that 10,000 download mark, which means the Polar Pro gift card will be on its way to a lucky recipient who has rated and reviewed the show and sent me a screenshot. Really excited to give that away. Be on the lookout for that in my Instagram stories. Until next time, everyone, go get shooting, go get editing, and stay focused. See you then.